All right. We are back for the week 16 preview with the Sporting Intelligence crew. I am Ethan Weiss, as always, joined by Pat Higgins. And Pat, we're here. It is week 16. We are into the thick of things in the 2023 season already. Seems like just yesterday we were getting started, and now we're talking about major playoff implications. Um, what have been your, you know, big big thoughts uh, on the, you know, 2023 NFL season through 15 weeks here? The NFC feels like it's the 49ers conference to lose, and it's going to be difficult for the Cowboys or the Eagles to really compete with the physicality and the attitude that the 49ers have, as much as that pains me to say it. And then the AFC is wide open. I think that, you know, it's you, you, week 14, 15, 16 pass us by and there's, you know, hot takes of, you know, the Chiefs are this or the, the Bills are sunk. And, you know, the soup of the day this week is that the Bills are, you know, going to be the team to emerge from the AFC for the Super Bowl. But you still have the Chiefs hanging out. Um, you got the Bills, obviously. And, you know, who else? Who else is there? You know, you have Baltimore that's, you know, kind of deteriorating, um, you know, via injuries on the offensive side of the ball. But um, they continue to win ugly. And it'll be interesting to see how they, you know, match up with the 49ers on Christmas night. But it, it's looking like it's going to be a, a, a good race in the AFC postseason. And in the NFC, the Niners getting to the NFC championship feels like a foregone conclusion. And it's really a matter of, you know, do the, the Eagles and Cowboys have to play each other in the divisional round or do they have to play each other at all in order to have the privilege to play the 49ers on the road at candlestick, whatever. So whatever that stadium's Levi. called, Levi stadium, Levi stadium for the NFC championship game. That's, that's how I feel right now. Sky's falling in Philly. The Eagles, <laughs> you'd rather be seven and four and then move to ten and four than be ten and one and move to ten and four at this juncture of the season. Yep, absolutely. But they can't cover anyone, and Drew Locke made him pay. James Bradbury is not a very good quarterback at this point in his career and should not have any sort of responsibility with regard to. <laughs> Having single coverage responsibilities at the outside got burned by the position. rookie. Yeah, no, I think it's been. A it was really a great throw. Season, though, to to your point about the Niners, um, usually it feels like around this time we're talking about you know the three or four teams in the league that have separated themselves from the pack, established themselves as the Super Bowl contenders and it, or, or maybe Super Bowl favorites, I should say. I think it's been an interesting year because it, it's really outside of San Francisco, nobody has has exerted their dominance. Um you know, over a lengthy stretch here to the point where we feel like they're a Super Bowl favorite uh, besides the Niners. And so I think that our attention has been more on these kind of weird packs that we have in both conferences. We got five teams at eight and six in the AFC. And we have, I think it's five teams at seven and seven in the NFC. It feels more blocked together there in the middle. Um, and there's few teams separating themselves uh, upward outside of San Francisco. So I think it's going to be, you know, a super, super interesting playoffs um, come that time of the year. And I think more than ever, it's going to depend on your matchup. I think these teams are very good at some things and very bad at others, um, especially a lot of these teams kind of floating around the, the middle, those seven and seven, eight and six teams. And 
I think it's going to be very, very matchup dependent come playoff time. And I think, you know, that's a great transition to, you know, remind people to head on over to sporting-intelligence.com where, you know, you can see all of these matchups laid out right in front of you, uh, you know, unit versus unit offense versus defense um, in the passing and rushing statistics uh, for each team. And it's all laid out right in front of you. So head on over to sporting-intelligence.com for our matchup analysis and a bunch of other great tools to help you beat the books, beat your friends in, in your fantasy football playoffs um, here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and maybe some daily fantasy wins to close out your season. So go on over to sporting-intelligence.com. Everything is free over there through the remainder of the season. So get on over there and get your hands on these awesome matchup analysis tools. Pat, we look back at week 15, flowers or thorns, as we always like to start off with. And I'll go to you first. Uh, where are you going with yours this week? Yeah, my flowers and these are these are beautiful, beautiful flowers are going to Baker Mayfield following week fifteen, heading into week week sixteen. Baker Mayfield led the Bucks to a thirty-four to twenty win on the road in Lambeau, hallowed NFL grounds. Baker Mayfield threw for three hundred eighty-one yards through the air, four touchdowns, and led the Bucks to a win against a Packers team that has been playing very well over the last six weeks. Call it. Jordan Love has sort of been rounding into form and didn't have the worst game. Um, exceeded his his passing yard total, which we predicted on the show last week. I think he ended up with about 280 and change. But um, you know, I'm 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 happy for Baker Mayfield. The Bucks improved to seven and seven on the season. Um, after starting two and one, they the Baker and the Bucks lost six of seven games in a seven game stretch from mid October through about Thanksgiving. But they have since bounced back over the last three weeks and won three straight to move back into play playoff contention at seven and seven. Uh, with uh, you know they're they're tied for the NFC South division lead. The rest of the way they have the Jags, Saints, and Panthers. Which you know, as of today, they're tied with the Panther. Or excuse me, the Saints at seven and seven. And given that they play the Saints, they control their own destiny on the path to an NFC South title. Given that they already beat the Saints earlier in the year. And, you know, just at a higher level, Baker Mayfield, you know, kind of is a guy who's been arrogant, has had a chip on his shoulder at, at points in his career for seemingly no reason. He was in a ton of commercials, kind of got chased out of Cleveland, had that year last year in Carolina where he, you know, didn't have the greatest situation. And, you know, as a result, didn't play very well because of the environment in which he was. But to what Geno Smith went through last year, I think Baker's having a little bit of a, a career renaissance, uh, you know, this year in Tampa Bay, and you love to see it. Love to see people succeed. Love to see people make the most of their opportunities. And um, for that reason, my flowers are going this week to Baker Mayfield, 381 yards and four tutties at Lambeau. Yeah, let's say on the positives here before we go to the negatives, because like you said, you know, it's more fun to be positive. But like Baker Mayfield positive. is, you know one of those guys who gets bashed because he was the number one overall pick in the draft. And he just, you know, that's a hard thing to live up to, right? Um, you're brought in to kind of change a franchise, especially where he was getting drafted to the Browns. It wasn't a great cast around him. Uh, not great, you know, 
history with that franchise recently. So, you know, there was a lot on his shoulders and and he was fine. He was a good player, but he wasn't great. And when you draft a quarterback at number one overall, you have to be great or you're going to be viewed as a disappointment. But, you know, we're a few years removed from that now. He's kind of bounced around a little bit. He's found himself in this spot in Tampa Bay where he can just kind of play ball. And what Baker Mayfield is at the end of the day is he is a quarterback who can raise your team's floor. If you have Baker Mayfield at quarterback, you are probably not going to be completely terrible as long as you have decent pieces around him. So that's exactly what he's done for this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team is he has raised their floor on a week-to-week basis. They can have a great performance and win some games. Uh, I don't really see them as a, as a Super Bowl contender per se, but they might be there in the playoffs and – you know, I, I don't know that you're necessarily looking at the Bucs as like a super easy matchup if you have to face them. Um, he, he's going out there. He's, he's throwing it around. The, the Bucs are trusting him to throw it, right? You, you know, they were supposed to be terrible. They were picked to be one of the worst teams in the league entering this season. And they're sitting here at 7-7 seven and seven with a, uh, you know, as you said, they control their own destiny for the playoffs. So uh, big credit to Baker Mayfield for that, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, you nailed it. I think that I, re- I read a bunch of stuff earlier in the year where he's like been seen out with the players and like like his offensive linemen and the guys around him, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, etc. Like everybody loves him, so I'm I'm happy for Baker. And you know, look, he's a vibes the, guy. Shout out to uh, Jonah, who you know, our resident vibes guy. When he subs in on the show here, um, you know, Baker Mayfield vibes guy raises your floor. That's what it's all yeah, about. Could could be hosting a playoff game in Tampa. Tampa Bay. Maybe there's a play on words for like Baker Mayfield Bay or something. We're going to have to workshop that. Tampa Baker, maybe. (laughs) Oh, that's pretty good. Pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. But Pat, sometimes as much as we love being positive, we have to be negative. We have to be critical. Um, And I'm going to be critical right now. I'm going with thorns this week. And it is to the entirety of anyone who is any what involved with the Atlanta Falcons offense because this was pathetic. An absolutely pathetic performance last week where you are fighting for your playoff lives. Last week coming in at 6 and 7 and your schedule affords you the worst team in the league whose defense is arguably the worst defense in the league in the Carolina Panthers their defense entering week 15 ranked 29th in defensive efficiency, 28th in EPA per play allowed, 31st in red zone touchdown percentage allowed. They've been Swiss cheese. They're easy to score points on. And, you know, um, they're, you know, you look back at the box score here and the scoreboard says 9-7. So you start to think, all right, let's try to give Atlanta the benefit of the doubt, right? Atlanta loves to run the ball. We we know this, right? They love to pound the rock. So maybe the Carolina defense was just a, a good matchup, right, for, for Carolina. Good rush defense. Wrong, Pat. Wrong. Carolina's defense entering week 15 was 23rd in rush yards per game allowed, 25th in rush yards per carry allowed. Carolina has only outgained yardage-wise their opponent four times this season. Okay, Once was in a 27-13 to 13 blowout loss to the Colts in which they had a bunch of turnovers. They were down 20 to three at half and started just slinging the ball. Indianapolis coasted to a victory. The second was week 14 against New Orleans. It was a 28 to six blowout loss. The Saints were in control of the game the whole way. Again, kind of just coasted to a victory. You know, the other two times that they outgained their opponent, Pat, the Atlanta 
Falcons. This was absolutely horrendous to only put up seven points against this team that has only allowed their opponents, has only held their opponents under 20 points just three other times this season. Outright embarrassing. Your playoff chances on the line and for those to be potentially ruined by losing to your division rival who is, what were they, 1-13 and 13 going into this week is just downright I don't have a better word than embarrassing thorns to the Atlanta Falcons offense. Yeah, the Falcons should be ashamed about the about losing to the Panthers outright on Sunday. I think, you know, they had weather working against them, which, you know, is one of those things where you don't game plan to play in, you know, downpouring uh rain, but both teams had to had to go through that. The Falcons also were missing at least three starters. I want to say four starters are on their offensive line. And so that's an excuse. Um, if if you're you know, I don't in want the market excuses, for Pat. If you're I don't in the want market excuses. for an excuse, they're, they're playoff, but they're at a higher level on the line and they get the worst team in the league. And you're, you're giving me some excuses. You got to win the game at, at a higher level. You know, I, I do the box score recaps and all that kind of stuff on the site on a weekly basis. And, Desmond Ritter's performance and this this offense's performance all year has been atrocious. And I think this is one of those cases where, you know, you drafted Desmond Ritter in, in the fourth round or, you know, whatever mid-round you got him in. And, like, if you're an executive or the owner of the Falcons, like, you don't need another season. You've seen enough. I know it's, I, it's difficult to play quarterback in the NFL, but Desmond Ritter is just not going to – he's not the guy. I don't think he's going to be the guy. And so I think this offseason, if you're, you know, looking at the dashboards and the way that the Falcons defense has performed, you're wasting a really good performance by that defense that ranks third in the league in defensive efficiency on the season with, you know, absolute incompetence on the offensive side of the ball. So it's a shame uh, the NFC South has been wide open for the taking all season, given, you know, the Bucks are at seven and seven tied for the lead and have a clear path to taking that division. Uh, it sucks, and if you're a Falcons fan and you're you've been watching this team all year, you probably agree with me that Desmond Ritter is not the guy, and Taylor Heineke should have gotten more starts. But um, it sucks. It's it's not something you like to see, and you know I think we both like to be positive people, but sometimes you gotta you gotta shed light on on things that are going wrong and things are going poorly on the offensive side of the ball. Pat, we. Last year, we talked a lot about the common sense coordinator position that all, all NFL staffs should employ. Um, you know, Arthur Smith hates this kind of rhetoric that he gets from the media. He hates fantasy football players, whatever that may, that may be. Um, and, you know, I would like to offer my services as Arthur Smith's common sense coordinator. You have a receiver that was drafted in the top 10 in Drake London. You have a tight end who was drafted in the top five in Kyle Pitts. You have a running back who was drafted in the top 10 in Bijan Robinson. As the common sense coordinator, I would tell him to target those guys more and give the ball to Bijan Robinson, your superstar running back who you just drafted eighth overall, more times than Tyler Algier, who this is no slander to Tyler Algier, is a fine running back, but he's not a generational, potential generational talent like Bijan Robinson. Common sense coordinator, there should never be a game where Algier doubles Bijan Robinson's carries. That's what happened in this one. We'll, uh, you know, let's move back to the positives because I'm, 
I'm getting uh, you know, fired up here at the Falcons. But Arthur Smith, if you are oh, no. listening to this and you need, you know, someone to fill in your common sense coordinator, um, you know, just uh, shoot me a text. Uh, but let's move on, Pat, uh, to you know, maybe the most positive thing we do here at Sporting uh, Intelligence, and that is the Mr. Big Chest Award. Um, lots of great performances around the league this week. Who is Mr. Big Chest for Week 15? Yeah, so before before we look ahead to week 15 with the Mr. Big Chest Award, I think it's always important to look back uh, because you know there's a lot of talk at the beginning of the year that there was a Mr. Big Chest curse. Joe Flacco won the Mr. Big Chest Award last week, won outright at home over the Bears, although he threw three interceptions and threw a lot of other balls that should have been intercepted. He won the game, and the Browns are now 9-5. and five. And if you're looking for a long shot to win the AFC and win the Super Bowl, the Browns are 65, uh, 65 to one to win the Super Bowl. So, um, you know, as, Pat, as a I got team a fun, that has, I got a fun Joe Flacco stat for you. Let's let's hear it. Uh, Joe Flacco, obviously small sample size. He leads the NFL in passing touchdowns per game and pass yards per game. That's fun. Yeah. That's yeah, fun because he's, he's elite. <laughs> and we've we've talked about it. The the Browns and let's not get super off off topic or off schedule, but the Browns have you know a top five defense, and they've had a horrible horrible quarterback play. And you know obviously yeah. Flacco didn't play well on Sunday, but they won the game. And you know the sky could be the limit for the Cleveland Browns at sixty five to one. I don't see your downside in you know taking a flyer on the Browns at sixty five to one to win the Super Bowl. Anyway. Moving on to this week's Mr. Big Chest Award. It is going to Antonio Pierce, head coach of yeah. the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah. Interim we'll, head we'll coach, I should up. say. Yeah. Antonio Pierce, coaching for his job in front of Mark Davis at home on Thursday Night Football. Coaching for the opportunity to be the Raiders' next head coach on a non-interim basis. Um, you know, the Raiders under Antonio Pierce won their first two games of, of this new era, albeit that was over the Giants and the Jets. But they're 4-2 against the spread in their last six under Antonio Pierce's tutelage and most recently ended the Brandon Staley era in L.A. in a Thursday Night Football beatdown in which the Raiders beat the Chargers by a margin of 63-14. to The Raiders posted six touchdowns on their eight first half possessions and led 42 nothing at halftime. Antonio Pierce did not take it. I have to stop you just to give the Chargers credit where credit is due. They did score 21 points in that game. 21. 63. Yeah. 63 21. You're right. You're right. Maybe maybe Brandon Staley shouldn't have been fired. Anyway, (laughs) Raiders leading 42 nothing at halftime. Antonio Pierce. Did not take his foot off the gas in the second half. And I don't think that he's the play caller, but he's the guy who tells the play caller to take his foot off the gas. The Raiders got into the Chargers red zone and ran a wide receiver pass to score a touchdown to take their lead from 42-0 to 49-0 on their first drive of the second half. The Raiders, I think, are a brash organization. And so Mark Davis probably had to love this. uh, And Antonio Pierce was probably playing into, you know, that that sort of emotion uh, as he continues to, you know, campaign to to become the next head coach of the Raiders. This guy seems like he's, you know, seemingly beloved by the players. 
or they just hated Josh McDaniels so much that anyone but Josh is their hero. But credit to Antonio Pierce. Very rare to see any team in the NFL score 63 points in an NFL game. Very rare to see a team that ranks 28th in the league in offensive efficiency <laughs> post 63 points in an NFL game. But that's a testament to the fact that the Raiders roster as it stands today using Aiden O'Connell, their backup quarterback, as their starter. Uh, and a defense that you know has been okay this year. Th these guys are playing hard for Antonio Pierce, and um, for that reason, you know, scoring sixty-three points with this roster, uh, you know, fits into the mold of what the Mister Big Chest Award is all about, and that's doing the improbable. And so, yeah, we're very proud of Antonio Pierce this week, and and you know, as we always say, I hope it I hope it brightens his week. Yeah, absolutely. Good for Antonio Pierce. He's totally turned the the vibes of this team around, um, you know, since the firing of Josh McDaniels. Uh, and that's, it, you know, if you're on that team, you got guys like Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs, you know, Jacoby Myers, very skilled players. You like to see them succeed. Um, you know, we're a very positive show here. Uh, so love to see that. One thing I will say, Pat, and, uh, you know, if the Raiders, uh, you know, Mark Davis or the GM of the Raiders is listening to this. One thing to consider here, um, if you are looking to hire Antonio Pierce, he, you know, this might not have been the best chess move here, Pat. Okay. Because Brandon Staley was a terrible coach. If you just kind of go in there, win the game by a couple scores, take your foot off the gas. Maybe Staley doesn't get fired, and then you have another bad coach in your division. Just saying. Yeah, I think Brandon Brandon Staley, I think, was a dead man walking. I think everyone, including Brandon Staley, knew it. And I think the team just quit on him. And I think, you know, that that's they partially did. why the Raiders scored 63 points on this team. Um, but yeah, yeah like you point, said, you know, I mean, the Raiders are only 28th in offensive efficiency because of last week. They were 30th entering last week. Pretty sure the only offenses worse than them entering last week are the Giants and the Jets. That's not company that you want to be, you know, talked about with offensively. And now all of a sudden your defense is giving up 63 points under a defensive head coach. You're completely right. It, this was, uh, you know, the Chargers said, oh, you guys quit on your head coach uh, earlier in the season, Las Vegas. Well, watch this. Um and boy, did they quit yeah. on Staley. So, uh, you know, yeah. congratulations to Antonio Pierce and the Raiders on a, a resounding Thursday night football victory. I do want to mention, uh, you know, there's only one Mr. Big Chest Award each week, but I do want to give a shout out to uh, James Cook, who was 25 rushes for 179 yards and a touchdown along with uh, 42 yards and a touchdown receiving as well against uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, big time performance in a primetime game. Um, or I guess that game was in the afternoon, not a primetime game, but, uh, boy, was he awesome in a really big spot against a really good Dallas team, uh, and a critical win for the bills. So just a, a little shout out there to, uh, James Cook as well. Yeah. Mr. Big but, Chest Tangent Award. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, without further ado, uh, you know, belaboring the point here on, you know, two AFC West teams that are probably irrelevant come playoff time. Uh, let's move on to the week 16 preview. We got some really intriguing matchups coming our way this week. As we discussed, lots of playoff implications on the line in a lot of these matchups. So we will start 
with what is being called by the Sporting Intelligence crew as the Week 16 Clinger Bowl, which features the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and, you know, our flowerful Baker Mayfield hosting the Jacksonville Jaguars as both of these Florida-based teams currently clinging to their division leads on a tiebreaker basis with the Texans matching the Jaguars at 8-6 and six in the AFC South following Jacksonville's three-game losing streak. The Buccaneers have taken the lead in the NFC South, matching the Saints at 7-7 seven and seven in the midst of a three-game surge. Tampa Bay favored by 1.5 at home, over under 43.5 in this one. Tampa Bay coming in at 15th in offensive efficiency, 13th in defensive efficiency. They face the Jags, who rank 23rd in offensive efficiency and 8th in defensive efficiency. The Tampa Bay offense has seen an uptick in rushing proficiency over the last four weeks. They remain overall a very average offense, 13th in offensive efficiency, as we mentioned, um, excuse me, 13th in EPA per play, 14th in series conversion rate, 18th in yards per play right in the middle of the pack. They are averaging 91.7 rush yards per game. That's 29th in the NFL. However, that's all the way up from 78 rushing yards per game entering week 12, which was dead last. So a significant improvement on that front for Tampa Bay. They do face a Jacksonville defense that has been a pass funnel for most of the season. 10th in EPA per play, 4th in turnovers forced per game for the Jaguars defense. They rank 28th in pass yards per game allowed and 12th in rush yards per game allowed. We'll come back to pass funnel defenses when we talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. However, We'll start with the Jacksonville offense on that side of the ball. They've been below average um, overall, 21st in EPA per play, 16th in series conversion rate, 17th in yards per play. They have really struggled to run the ball. They are 30th in yards per carry, despite the talented Travis Etienne there in the background. Uh, they're only better than the aforementioned Buccaneers and the Las Vegas Raiders on a yards per carry basis. We talked about it a little bit. The Tampa Bay defense, again, another one of the bigger pass funnels in the league. Uh, this is probably not the best matchup for this Bucks team against the Jaguars offense that is 10th in pass yards per game. Uh, Bucks defense ranked 29th in EPA per play allowed, 26th in red zone trips allowed per game. They are 31st in pass yards per game, 8th in rush yards per game allowed, even more extreme than the Jaguars. This is a critical matchup for both of these teams as they are currently the division leaders, but their playoff chances will take a big hit if they surrender that lead in their division this late in the season, I'll go to you first, Pat, where is, uh, where, where are you playing this one? Yeah, I'm riding with the guy that I gave flowers to a couple minutes ago, going Baker Mayfield over 233 and a half passing yards in this matchup. Jacksonville Jaguars secondary ranks 28th in the league in passing yards per game and 27th in passes of 10 plus yards allowed now facing a Bucks offense that isn't among the league's most explosive, but led by Baker Mayfield, who threw for 381 yards and four tutties in Green Bay last week. Jacksonville's secondary is banged up. They're two of their top three corners in Tyson Campbell and Christian Braswell were limited participants as of Wednesday, as well as their safety, Andre Sisco, also limited participant on practice in, excuse me, in practice on Thursday. Look at the four, four of, or, Four of the six previous quarterbacks to face this Jags secondary that, as we said, ranks 28th in the league in passing yards per game, have thrown for 300-plus yards. This list includes Joe Flacco, Jake Browning, C.J. Stroud, and Brock Purdy. Joe Flacco threw for 311 yards and three tutties most recently. Jake Browning 
threw for 347 yards and a tutty on 33 of 39 passing, in which we said he looked like Joe Montana on Monday Night Football. <laughs> CJ Stroud. People, threw have, for th- people were saying that. Yeah. Many people were saying it, not just us. If you listen to all the podcasts across uh, the United States, many people were in agreement that Jake Browning looked like Joe all Montana. Everyone. <laughs> consensus. You could probably use AI to, to do that. DJ Stroud, 304 yards and two touchdowns on 26-36 passing. And Brock Purdy, 302 yards, three tutties on 20 of 28 passing. Opposing passers have cleared 300 y- passing yards against the Jags in eight of 14 games this season and have cleared 233.5 in nine of the last 13 games. I think Baker is playing very well. Um, season, he's got great weapons in Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. And he's got a great matchup against the Jaguars secondary that's banged up and not playing very well against the pass. So we're going Baker Mayfield right around his his season average in passing yards per game at 233.5 uh, to go over this week against the Jaguars. Yeah, these are two. This is a really interesting matchup on both sides of the ball because both teams struggle to run the ball and have great weapons uh, in the pass game. And both defenses really struggle against the pass but are actually pretty proficient against the run. Um, so I'm going to play the same angle here. I'm just going on the other side of the ball. I'm going with the other number one uh, overall picked quarterback in this game, and that is Trevor Lawrence over 252.5 passing yards. That is his total as well. Again, talked about the Bucks and their you know big pass funnel, eighth in rush yards per game, seventh in yards per carry on the, on the ground, um, but 31st in pass yards per game and 29th in yards per attempt allowed through the air. The Jags have really struggled to run the ball, as we touched on. They're 30th in yards per carry. They run it at a below average rate. Just 43.4% of their plays are rushes. That's the 11th lowest rate in the league. I expect them to lean on their guy, Trevor Lawrence, and uh, sling it around against a Bucks defense that has been pretty poor um, against the pass, like we talked about. Two pass funnel defenses, and we are riding that Baker and Trevor Lawrence overs in this game. Um, I think that's, you know, exactly what we've seen from these two teams all year. So uh, I think with that, we will move on to our second matchup that we will talk about this week as the 8-6 and six Colts head to Atlanta for a meeting with the 6-8 and eight Thorny Falcons after what we just talked about, who find themselves um, now a game back of Tampa Bay for the division lead. Interestingly enough, this game actually has huge implications uh, playoff wise on both conferences because the Colts are one of five, eight, and six teams in the AFC, uh, resulting in the Buffalo Bills remaining on the outside looking in despite some of their big uh wins recently. And the Falcons in the NFC desperately need a win, as we discussed, because there are five, seven, and seven teams ahead of them, including two teams in their own division, leaving them with a very, very steep uphill climb to get in the playoff picture. Atlanta minus one and a half at home over under 44 and a half in this one. Atlanta comes in at 17th in offensive efficiency, third in defensive efficiency, Indianapolis 16th in offensive efficiency and ninth uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Two surprisingly solid defenses here um, in this matchup. Atlanta ranks sixth in EPA per play, fifth in series conversion rate allowed, ninth in yards per play allowed, and they are second in red zone touchdown percentage allowed, tied with the Baltimore Ravens, only behind the Tennessee Titans in that category. On the other side, you have the Colts, who 
While they rank 16th in EPA per play allowed and they rank 18th in red zone touchdown percentage allowed, they've had success by being third in sacks per game and sixth in turnovers per game. They're causing chaos, causing havoc for, havoc for opposing quarterbacks, and they've been uh, you know, sustaining success via that route. The offenses are very interesting um, in this matchup. Atlanta is one of the most run-heavy offenses in the league. They're not good. They're 24th in EPA per play. They're 19th in red zone touchdown percentage, 26th in turnovers per game. Uh, and they have the third highest rush rate, only behind Baltimore and San Francisco. But Baltimore and San Francisco run the ball really efficiently. The Falcons are 23rd in yards per carry, and yet they continue to run the ball. Uh, the Indianapolis offense is just really average across the board. 14th in EPA per play, 16th in yards per play, 18th in red zone touchdown percentage. You're either going to get some uh, what-the-heck-was-that plays from Minshew, or you're going to get some really, really exciting explosive plays out of this offense. Um, and, you know, Michael Pittman is going to play a big part in that. So uh, we'll see if he's ready to go in this one. Um, this is a matchup, you know, featuring two of the league's most volatile teams, uh, for lack of a better term here, uh, really fighting for their playoff lives. Uh, should provide some good fireworks on Sunday morning for us. Um, so I'll go to you first, Pat. Where are you going in this one? I'm going over 44 and a half in this one. Should preface this with the fact that this is a system play this is a model play and for those who have been listening all season you're obviously acutely aware that our models have been performing extremely well i think we're most recently at you know 67 percent on the season over a sample of call it between 50 and 60 plays starting after week five so anyway over 44 and a half in this game starting on the colt side of the ball gardner Minshew to your Point Ethan, little little up and down, little volatile. Sometimes he makes some pretty bad plays, but I would argue he's one of the best backup quarterbacks in the league, and he has led the Colts to the over in seven of their last nine games, including each of the last four. Over the last four games, the Colts have scored at least 27 points in three of four games. Now they're facing a Falcons defense that is obviously you know their better unit. Uh, they rank top 10 in the league in a number of different metrics, but over the last three weeks, they've played the Jets, Saints, and Panthers, all of which are among the league's five to seven worst offenses. Colts playing very well, putting points up on the board. Um, you know, over the last month, under Gardner Minshew, Michael Pittman this week is a limited participant with concussion, but that's positive news given, you know, the hit that he took from uh, the Steelers. Yeah, know, scary safety. stuff. Very scary, very dirty hit. Uh, DeMonte Kazee out for the season, suspended for the season because of how dirty of a hit that was. Anyway, Jonathan Taylor, also full participant at practice as of Thursday. Looks like he's going to be back this week. Um, at the core, you know, Desmond Ritter is out. I think Taylor Heineke might provide a little bit of a spark for this Falcons offense that, to your point, we talked about it at length. Uh, earlier in the show, has a bunch of playmakers at skill positions in B. John Robinson, Kyle Pitts, Drake London, and more. Two non-traditional opponents from different conferences don't really know each other super well. I think that is a recipe for the over in that you don't know the other team's tendencies as much as you do uh, when there's you know an intra-divisional battle. And you, know, you combine that with the fact that this is a model play, and I, I'm riding over 44 and a half in the Falcons Colts on Sunday. Yeah, I really like this spot actually. Um, 
you know, it's a Colts defense that's been pretty mid, uh, you know, 18th in red zone touchdown percentage allowed, um, 16th in EPA per play allowed. Like they're, they're kind of right around the middle and they've had success by forcing turnovers and sacking the quarterback. But in this matchup, you have a, a Falcons offense that loves to run the ball and is going to take some of that pass rush for the Colts out of play just naturally by the way that they, you know, script their offense. Um, and outside of that, Indianapolis has been, you know, prone to giving up some points. Um, so, you know, I like that side of the ball. And then the Falcons are a defense who you you play who's on your schedule. I get that. And they've been great statistically. But a lot of those stats are propped up by the fact that they have played offenses like Carolina twice. They've played Jacksonville, who is not a great offense. Um, they've played Washington, Tennessee, Minnesota without Kirk Cousins. They've played Arizona without Kyler Murray. Um, New Orleans, who's been pretty bad with Derek Carr at the helm, and, and the Jets. Like It's not necessarily a gauntlet of amazing quarterbacks that they've had to face. So a little bit of propped up defensive stats there. Uh, the model's kind of saying this line may be a little too low um, based on these defenses statistically being pretty good. Um, so I like this play a lot. Uh, I'm going to go uh, with an over here as well. I'm going uh, right back to our guy, Bijan Robinson. We talked about it a little bit earlier in the show. I'm going back to Bijan over 59 and a half rush yards. Uh, you know, abysmal performance last week against the Panthers. Um, he had seven carries to Algiers 14. He had seven carries for 11 yards. You know, in that weather game, Panthers were kind of sitting back and, and waiting for it. Um, and look, Falcon season's on the line. I, I think they go do or die with their guy who they drafted high. And uh, I don't think we see another week where Bijan Robinson is out carried two to one by Tyler Algier. Robinson is averaging 4.55 yards per carry to Algier's 3.46. Um, you know, season's even more on the line than it was last week. And I expect a big game from Bijan against an Indianapolis defense that is 26 in rush yards per game and 26th in rushes of 10 or more yards allowed. I think this is a good spot. Um, and a desperate Falcons team who loves to run the ball. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hope and pray that, uh, you know, someone with some common sense uh, gets in uh, Arthur Smith's ear and, and we get B. John Robinson the ball a little bit more. Hopefully this goes well for you because this could be setting up for, uh, you know, you doubling down on the on thorns next week if if B John doesn't get enough touches to get over this total, but uh, hopefully hopefully Arthur Smith's listening this week and has hired a common sense coordinator. U of A takes on FAU in in hoops this week, uh, heading up to Vegas. There will be surely plenty of double downs there. I'm hoping I don't have to double down next week uh, on the Falcons thorns. So uh, you know, let's hope that we can uh, get that right this time around. Yeah, it's a good uh, so spot. Bijan Robinson yeah. over 59 and a half, over 44 and a half, the plays on that game. And we move on the last two matchups here. Some of my favorite games of the year to this point. And we start with the week 16 bounce back bowl as the Miami dolphins coming off a loss to the Tennessee Titans. Oh, I'm sorry. That was two weeks ago. Well, the jets don't count. Um, they welcome the Cowboys uh, to town with, uh, you know, the Cowboys coming off their disappointing loss to Buffalo. Miami favored by one and a half over under is 50 and a half in this one. Dolphins enter at third in offensive efficiency and 11th in defensive efficiency. Dallas second in offensive efficiency and 25th in defensive efficiency. Uh, start with the offenses because 
Uh, this one's fairly easy. Both have been completely elite uh, units overall. Miami, third in EPA per play, only behind San Francisco and Buffalo. Fifth in series conversion rate, second in yards per play, only behind San Francisco. Second in red zone touchdown percentage, also only trailing San Francisco. The Cowboys on the other side, fourth in EPA per play, third in series conversion rate, seventh in yards per play, first in red zone trips per game. The defenses on the other side have had very different paths recently. The Miami defense has greatly improved since the return of Jalen Ramsey. They now rank seventh in EPA per play allowed, eighth in series conversion rate allowed, fourth in yards per play allowed. The red zone defense is still a concern, just 26th in red zone touchdown percentage allowed. Uh, like the Chiefs having their defense step up a little bit, this is another team in the Dolphins that if you are an AFC team who might have to face them in the playoffs, you really have got to be shaking in your boots a little bit now that this offense has a defense to play uh, at least close to their level. Um, the other side, Dallas's defense is an inability to stop the run, uh, really reared its ugly head last week. Um, you know, against Buffalo after a good stretch here in the middle weeks of the season. They rank 27th in early down success rate allowed. Um, that's largely due to being 16th in yards per carry allowed versus 9th in yards per attempt allowed. Um, they are still a very good unit overall, ranking 3rd in EPA per play allowed, 4th in red zone trips per game allowed, 4th in pass yards per game allowed. This is a big, big spot for both teams. They both look to add you know, a big win to their resume. While this isn't necessarily the college football playoff, the resume matters a little bit less. You know, most of all, this is just a proof to themselves that they can compete with the league's best come playoff time. Both of these teams have been criticized for kind of beating up on bad teams and not being able to get the big win. This is a great chance for both of these teams to get a big win. Pat, where are you going in this one? Yeah, it's going to be a super interesting matchup, right? The The Dolphins really haven't had the ability this season to beat you know, some of the AFC or NFC's best teams. Uh, and that's that's sort of their flaw, you know, at this point heading into week 16. Dallas, on the other hand, has been beating up on really bad teams and has played extremely well at home and, you know, obviously went to Buffalo in week 15 and laid an egg against the Bills in a spot where James Cook had his best game of the season. And the yep. Bills ran for 200-plus yards on the ground, which – makes it very confusing and difficult to really predict the outcome of this game on a side and a total basis. So as a result, I am, I'm not going to be playing anything huge in this game, but I'm taking Raheem Mostert over 57 and a half rushing yards against a Cowboys rush defense that to your point allowed James cook to run wild on the ground in Buffalo in week 15. I think that if you really look at the, the scheme and the core of the scheme, uh, of the, the Dolphins offense, it's similar to the 49ers predicated on running the football. And I trust Mike McDaniels to to look at the tape of what the Bills did against the Cowboys on or excuse me, at home in week 15. And, you know, sort of sort of put together a game script that uh, is going to put Raheem Mostert and Devon Achan in up or in, in spots to take advantage of a, a Cowboys run defense that you know ranks you know around the middle of the league 19th in the league in rushing yards per game allowed uh and, you know have a good game and so i'm not going 
I'm not swinging for the fences here. I'm not, I'm not, you know, predicting that the Dolphins are going to beat the Cowboys, though. I would love to see that happen. I'm just going Raheem <laughs> Mostert over 57 and a half rushing yards in this spot. Yeah, I like this play. Uh, what gets lost a lot with the Dolphins with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and this flashy passing attack and these explosive plays is that the Miami Dolphins are quietly one of, if not the best rushing offense in the league as well. They rank fourth in rush yards per game, first in yards per carry at 5.33, and fourth in runs of 10 or more yards. Um, you got Mostert and Achan, this two-headed backfield that is both you know these extremely explosive guys. Uh, Mostert has been taking a lot more of the carry share recently as Achan's kind of slowly being nursed back from this uh, ankle foot injury. Um and they're still being priced somewhat close together, right? Mostert's line here sitting at, at 57 and a half is a, a really good number. So I like this play a lot. Um, I'm also going to stick with the Miami offense here. I think this is actually a very intriguing matchup for them. I'm going team total over 25 and a half for the Dolphins. Uh, Miami's only been held under this, this total five times this season. They've gone over this number each of the four last, last four weeks. Um, We've talked at length about how explosive this offense is. So, you know, let's skip to where does the Dallas defense struggle? Well, they struggle against the run. We talked about this a little bit, 16th in yards per carry allowed. We just mentioned Miami, quietly one of the best rushing attacks in the league. They rank first in yards per carry. Dallas defense struggles in the red zone. They're 22nd in red zone touchdown percentage allowed. The Dolphins on the other side, second in red zone efficiency, scoring touchdowns on 68% of their red zone trips. That is an extremely high rate in the NFL. Um, you know, if they get chances, they're probably going to score touchdowns. And this is the, the biggest spot here that I see uh, an advantage for the Dolphins. The Cowboys ranked 27th in early down success rate allowed. On the other side, Miami is third in early down success rate. They're getting ahead of the chains. They're, you know, good at running the ball, getting ahead of the sticks, putting themselves in good positions to take shots, be explosive, take the top off the defense. And, you know, I think that that is a great chance here against the Dallas defense has really struggled on early downs, especially against the run. Explosive plays here are a great route to a team total over. Um, and that's what I'm going to, you know, expect from this Dolphins offense. Um, that's what the stats are telling me. That's, you know, kind of a narrative based thing here. I'm going Miami team total over 25 and a half. Yeah, I like it. I think that, that there is, you know, a, a lot to like here from a Miami offense that has has playmakers and speed all over the ball. If you look at the the Dallas Cowboys uh, schedule this season, I think that the Cowboys are a very good, very talented team. I think they have a ton of speed on the defensive side of the ball, but like they haven't played a lot of really good quarterbacks, right? They they've played. If we go through the schedule, they've played the Giants, Jets, Cardinals, Patriots. Uh, in the first month of the season, there's not a they good got to play Jalen Hurts twice. <laughs> Jalen Hurts played, you know, well in the first game. Uh, they played, you know, they played Danny DeVito. They played Bryce Young. They played Geno Smith, who threw for Tommy a, DeVito you know, somewhere. Danny, Danny yeah, DeVito is in the Subway commercials. <laughs> I don't know how <laughs> good of a quarterback. <laughs> I don't think Danny DeVito would be a good NFL quarterback. You are right, though. If if the Cowboys had faced Danny DeVito at quarterback, I, I think their stats would be a little inflated. Yeah, but so so anyway, I they haven't played a, a really high caliber offense yeah. that you know is comparable to the the what the Miami Dolphins had as so you know have you aside from the the Forty Nineers. Yeah. Exactly. When they played that, I was going to say the only really offense that's 
somewhat on that level is is this Miami team or San Francisco, excuse me. And when they played them, it didn't go so well. Um, yep. So I, I think this is good. This is a good matchup for for the Dolphins. Um, you know, these have been the best two teams at home all year. Dallas first in home point differential, Miami second. Um, both teams a little bit worse on the road. Dallas 14th in away point differential, Miami ninth. Miami gets the home field advantage here. And that's been big for both these teams. Um, and I think they're going to be a little bit more comfortable. Uh, I'm going to stay away from from the to- from the side, but I-, I like Miami to score some points. Yep, me too. like it a lot. All right. On to our last matchup that we will discuss in the Week 16 preview, and that is this Monday night uh, football matchup. It's our nightcap. Three Christmas Day games. And in this last game of the week, we will feature the San Francisco 49ers hosting the Baltimore Ravens for just the third matchup between these teams since Super Bowl 47, of which the home team has won both of the previous two. Another potential Super Bowl matchup here, as both of these teams currently hold the number one seeds in their respective conferences, San Francisco favored by five and a half at Levi Stadium, formerly known as Candlestick Park. Over under 46 and a half in this one. Baltimore enters at 10th in offensive efficiency and first in defensive efficiency, taking that crown um, after last week's performance from their division rival, Cleveland Browns. San Francisco entering at first in offensive efficiency, sixth in defensive efficiency. You know, these are definitively two of the most well-rounded teams in the league, starting with the defenses. Baltimore second in EPA per play allowed, like I mentioned, only behind the Cleveland Browns. First in yards per play allowed, third in series conversion rate allowed, only behind Cleveland and the New York Jets. Uh, San Francisco on the other side defensively, fifth in EPA per play allowed, first in red zone trips per game allowed, first in turnovers forced per game. Absolutely electrifying, explosive defense. The offenses have also both been excellent for these teams. Baltimore, eighth in EPA per play, eighth in series conversion rate, fifth in yards per play, tenth in red zone touchdown percentage. Uh, you know, all of these key metrics that we talk about on a week by week basis that are very important and telling of how an offense is doing. Both these teams succeed in both these areas. Uh, San Francisco, though, has just taken it to another level over the last couple of weeks. They've taken the top spot in our offensive efficiency metric from the Miami Dolphins offense that we just talked about. They now rank first in all four of those categories we just talked about EPA per play, series conversion rate, yards per play, red zone touchdown percentage. Niners ranked first in all of those categories. Look, Pat, Santa delivered with this one on Christmas Day. A true Clash of the Titans potential Super Bowl matchup and a matchup that hopefully can close out week 16 with a bang. Pat, I think we're both in agreement on this play. I'll let you go first here. Baltimore, Niners, where are we going? Yeah, we're riding the over. This is a system play. This is a model play, but this is also, you know, at its core, a matchup of two of the league's top 10 most efficient offenses. You touched on it on the rankings on both sides of the ball. The 49ers have one of the most efficient and explosive offenses in the league, first in the league in each of the following categories offensive efficiency, EPA per play, series conversion rate, yards per play. Yards per attempt in the passing game, red zone touchdown percentage. Um, they are just balanced. They can run the ball. They can get the ball in the flat to Debo. They can put the ball over the top to Brandon Ayuk. They can find George Kittle up the seam. 
they are very good at moving the ball on offensive side of the ball when they have possession. The Ravens are a little bit more ugly, but they, you know, rank 10th in the league in offensive efficiency, 8th in EPA per play, 5th in yards per play. And I think that, you know, they're going to have an opportunity to to move the ball and they're probably going to have to keep pace with a, a San Francisco offense that, as we mentioned, is extremely efficient. Niners and one to the over in their last four games. To me, that's an indif- indication that despite how you know well their their defense plays, their offense just continues to outperform expectations, which is you know very difficult to do because I think everyone sort of expects a lot from from their offense. Um, you know, and and the Ravens on the other side of the ball are scoring nearly thirty two points per game over the last seven weeks. I think that you know it should not be ignored that we have two of the league's top six defenses on the field, but I just think that. Uh, there, there's a lot of explosive plays to be had on both sides of the ball for either of these offenses. And at 46 and a half, that's a good number. Riding with the model, riding with two of the league's most efficient offenses going head-to-head Christmas night over 46 and a half. Yeah, Pat, you touched on it. Uh, that's exactly what this fraud or not model is kind of built to do. It's, you know, we acknowledge that there are two great defenses on the field, But we also acknowledge that the market may have pushed this line a little bit too far down because of those two off two great defenses being on the field. That's what we have here. We're at 46 and a half right below our key number 47. This is a great spot to play this. Yes, the defenses are great. Yes, primetime game. Unders have been hitting at a historic rate this year. But great offense has historically beat great defense. And that's what we have here. San Francisco first in offensive efficiency, Baltimore 10th. Both teams top 10 in EPA per play, series conversion rate, red zone touchdown percentage. They're moving the ball with explosives. They're moving, you know, moving the chains, getting first downs, and they're scoring touchdowns when they get in scoring position. These are the number two and number three offenses in red zone trips per game, only behind the Dallas Cowboys that we just talked about. There should be scoring chances in this game, despite the strength of these defenses. My biggest concern in this one is actually San Francisco is 26th in offensive penalty yards per game, Baltimore 27th in offensive penalty yards per game. So putting your offenses behind the sticks could sometimes cause drives to stall, um, but I'm going to you know stick to my guns here, ride the model. I'm going with the over with you on this one, 46 and a half as we sit here Thursday night, uh, you know, right before Thursday night football here recording. But Pat, boy, what a week of football we have here. A lot of very, very intriguing, important matchups. Lots of playoff implications on the line. This should be a very exciting week. Uh, I remind our listeners once again, if you're still with us, thank you. And please head on over to sporting-intelligence.com and check out all of these great matchup analysis tools that we use to make our picks here on the pod, that we use on a week-to-week basis to break down these matchups you know, in context of offense versus defense for that upcoming week, sporting-intelligence.com. Pat, I hope you and your family have a very happy holiday. Uh, I hope everyone listening has a very happy holidays, and we will see you next time.